in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, there are, are two steps leading up to the sanctuary, to the, to the higher altar of St. Peter. And they're made from a, a type of granite called porphyry. And porphyry, if you've ever gone to any of these, these giant basilicas or sometimes even some other, other huge monumental architectural building that's sort of, sort of ancient at this point, you might see that red stone called porphyry. It came from Egypt originally, but there's none, no more of it left. In the ancient world, it was considered such a valuable stone to build with, and it's very, very hard that you really only see it in these kind of major ancient kind of monumental structures. And in fact, one of the interesting things about it is that if you walk into St. Peter's Basilica, and some of you know from, from having been there, when you walk just through the doorway, and the threshold's not necessarily big under each individual door, but there'll be the, the keys of St. Peter crossed down there on the floor inset in marble. But the keys are also made of that stone called porphyry. And so sometimes they'll, they'll kind of warn you, you know, be careful, watch your feet, because porphyry is so much harder than marble that all, a lot of the marble is, is two inches or so below the keys just from people walking on it, all the marble has recessed, and so now the, the porphyry keys kind of stick out from, from the marble um, that they're inlaid into. And so the reason I bring up those stairs, though, is because my, um, I was ordained a deacon at St. Peter's, and I remember the rehearsal the day before, we were with our uh, liturgy director, who was also my formation advisor, and he had said, he said, you know, these stairs right here, these porphyry stairs are from the Constantinian St. Peter's Basilica. So from like the 300s, and they were repurposed for the new uh, St. Peter's Basilica. So there are a few things that were from the original St. Peter's Basilica that, that was built. And I was like, those are so old. And what I thought that day before I got ordained, and the day of when we walked in, when we processed in, and we stepped up those stairs is, how many people came before me? How, ma how many saints and sinners had walked up those stairs in the history of our church? And, and I couldn't help but get that overwhelming feeling that I was standing on the shoulders of, of giants, you know, people that came before me that you know, that are, that, that are great, great saints, <laughs> you know, some, some amazing people in the church. And then it made me realize how many people who prepared the way for me in my own life. As, as we wait, as we wait for the Lord in this time of Advent, I bet most of you here are probably here for somebody who prepared the way for you in your life in some way, shape, or form. Often, you might be able to distill it down to one individual that was so faithful in your life, that was such a good example of being a Catholic Christian that you were inspired by them. And you're like, you know what? If my grandmother, my grandfather, my mother, my father could, could be the person that they were, then I want to be like that. And, and it's amazing, those people who have come before us with this great example and sort of blaze that trail for us. And as we wait in preparation, we see that that's who John the Baptist really is. And, and he, you know, he says, of course, elsewhere in the gospel, too, that he says, you know, that, that Jesus must increase and that he must decrease. And it's the same way that he's kind of saying that 
I'm not worthy to stoop down and loosen the thong on his sandals. I, it's like, for one of us, I am not worthy to reach down and tie your shoe. You know, like, I, I, he's just like, I couldn't even do that for the Lord. He's like, that's how exalted and, and amazing he really is. And so, you know, John the Baptist is kind of a unique character in, in the gospel. You know, he's not, he's not necessarily the most approachable type of person. He's a hermit out in the desert, a Levitical priest. You know, he's wearing his camel hair and his leather belt, as we hear, and he eats locusts and wild honey. But yet, all of these people are going to him. He was obviously a charismatic and convincing enough individual that a lot of people were approaching him. But elsewhere, again in the gospel, it says that no man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. Those are pretty strong words that you hear there. And yet, he's the one that says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to, you know, stoop down and just tie his sandal onto his foot. He's this amazing example of humility in our faith and pointing the way to Jesus Christ. And so as I thought about those that prepare the way for us, the other thing that we read today in our second reading, another, another great saint, St. Paul, who paves the way for, for Christians, he says, for, for the Lord, we have to remember that the Lord is outside of time. The, the Lord is in eternity. And so God is outside of time, but what we're waiting for during Advent is for Jesus to enter into time. He enters into our timeline. But we hear in that second reading, he said, for the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are as a day. That's an amazing example of our concept of time compared to God's concept of time. And I often bring this up uh, so some, some folks have heard me say this before, but for any of you that have a devotion to any, any of the Marian apparitions, or even some of the great mystic saints of the church, often they'll have these dialogues with, with Jesus and or Mary, and in these dialogues, you get an unusual sense of time. And one of the examples I often give is the visionaries of Lucia and Saints Jacinta and Francisco from Fatima. So you know, when they see the Blessed Mother, when, when they see her for the first time, they're talking to her, and they want to know, when are we going to go to heaven? You know, Mary, when will we go to heaven? They're so anxious to know that idea. And so our Blessed Mother tells Jacinta and Francisco, he says, you know, Jacinta and Francisco, you know, you know, soon, <laughs> you know, a little while. And then it's like, Lucia, you'll have to wait some time longer. So for some perspective there, Jacinta and Francisco died in a pandemic <laughs> during the Spanish flu epidemic about three or four years after the apparitions. So for Mary, three or four years, which seems like an eternity to some, especially the young, you know, three or four years, that was kind of like soon. And then Lucia, she lived to be 97 years old, and she was about 10 years old during the time of the apparition. So you'll have to wait some time longer. These conceptions of time and God are not like our concept of time because he's speaking to us from this eternal perspective from outside of time. And just think of how many of you parents have said to your kids, you know, you might use those interchangeably, like, 
Mom, when can I do this? Oh, soon, in a little while, a little while longer, you know, or something like that. Well, for, you know, Lucia, that meant about 90 years or so, you know. And so if anything that we have learned this year, maybe some of us are still learning it, it is patience. You know, everything about this year has lasted longer than we expected. But as we wait, as we wait for Jesus to come during this season of Advent, we're reminded about that. We're reminded of this patience that we need to have. And just as we're oriented towards Jesus' coming, there's one thing that we have to be oriented towards ultimately, which is our life in heaven. The God who's eternal, not of time itself. And I say this often at confirmations, but, but I'll say it to all of you today. During this journey, during that preparation, we should all ask ourselves the question periodically through our life, what's next? And when I give this example to confirmation kids, usually what ends up happening, you know, your mind might go like this. It's like, well, I don't know, I think I'd like to go to, you know, I, I want to go to college, and I'd like to go to maybe one of these few schools. And then you say, okay, well, what's next? And you say, well, I don't know, I, maybe I'd like to meet a lovely person and marry them and spend the rest of my life with them. And you're like, okay, that's great too. Okay, what, what's next? It's just like, well, you know, you know, maybe my career and then, you know, kids, blah, blah, blah. You know. And you keep asking that question until you get to this one spot that you need to get to, which is you get to your own, end of, the end of your own life. You get to your own death. What's next? A life in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's the only answer that you need to have to that question. And so for many people here, I know that you don't have to keep asking what's next. You only have to ask it one time. You're like, what's next? My life in heaven with Jesus Christ. Last week, I know it was at a different mass time, but I talked about St. Paul said in the second reading that we should be lacking in no spiritual gifts as we wait for the coming of the Lord. And so I was describing some of the traditional definitions of the spiritual gifts. The thing about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that every single one of them relate back to God. Not one of them is a gift for our material gain or life on earth. Every one of them relates to our divine life oriented towards God, a life in heaven with God. And so if we can keep asking ourselves that question, what's next? And then come up with, well, my life in heaven with the Lord. It'll always put in perspective what we're preparing for, what we're waiting for in, in this life. And as I said, as you look back on some of these giants in your own life, the people that gave you the gift of faith. And as we look back on the giants in our faith, who we call the communion of saints, you know, we realize that we've been, this way has been being prepared for a long, long period of time. One of the other unique hallmarks of being there at St. Peter's Basilica is if you're in that, in that piazza outside the basilica, you see an ancient Egyptian obelisk. And you're like, what in the world is that doing in Rome? Well, there's a number of ancient Egyptian ob obelisks, which were originally like trophies from the conquest of the Roman Empire. But that ancient obelisk, St. Peter himself was crucified 
upside down within sight of that obelisk. That obelisk is the same monument that would have been around that Moses would have walked by and seen. 2,000 years of Christianity, 4,000 years of the faith tradition from the Israelites, from the Jewish people. We are truly standing on the shoulders of giants. And as we think of all of those people that have prepared the way for us, we just have to ask that question during Lent. What's next? And if it's a life in heaven with Christ, then we repent of our sins like those that came to St. John the Baptist, and we continue to get closer and closer to him as he got the closest to us by becoming human, by being one of us so that we can identify with him fully. God bless you all today.